0: I want to talk to you this morning, the Gospel of John, I I want to talk to you this morning about the greatest miracle. I'm going to read quite a bit, so bear with me as we begin with John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We need need to remember that. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace for the law was given through Moses grace and truth came through Jesus Christ no one has ever seen god the only god who is at the father's who is at the father's side he has made him known and this was the testimony of john when the jews sent priests and levites from jerusalem to ask him who are you and i'll i'll uh, I'll stop there. I'm going to skip on ahead to verse 29. It's again having to do with John the Baptist. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And I I won't go any farther than that, but there is the calling of the first two disciples. We we know them as as apostles. So in this passage of Scripture, John lays out this wonderful, rather mystical um, picture Of Jesus the Messiah. Now keep in mind that John lived with him for three years approximately. Went where he went, slept under the stars, ate together, went through difficulties together. John stood at the foot of his cross. John was given the commission to take care of Mary as Jesus was dying. So when we read those passages we 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 can think you know John John you know was this philosophical mystical guy you know he's just waxing all eloquent here John was a man of the soil and he knew he knew what happened He saw Jesus die He saw him die most probably of asphyxiation on that cross Because that's what happens in crucifixion. Your lungs fill with water and you drown. John was more than likely with him when they took the body down. So this this was a real guy who lived in a real world who understood real things and when he saw when he put all this together under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit he saw what happens he he writes these most wonderful passages and he says this is the this fellow is the creator he is the Word or the expression of God he says he is life he is life he is life itself he is light he is truth he is not truthful he is truth. He doesn't say truth. Truth comes from him. That's the same way with life and light and all the other things. He is full of grace. And John was very careful, being a Jew and knowing the Jews would read this, he was very careful to say that we got the law from Moses, but grace came through Jesus Christ. In this passage, we also hear him referred to as the Son of God and the Lamb of God. That's whose birthday we celebrate, or should be celebrating, on Christmas. Now, go with me back to Luke, and we won't read all of this again. Um, we already read it earlier in our um, our corporate reading earlier, um, but I, I love the I, I love this. Simple narrative, these passages verses eight through twenty eight through eleven excuse me <clears throat> um, because in these passages th- these angels say listen i 'm going to bring you some good news and that and by the way that 's the, the same word where we get our word gospel i 'm going to bring you some good news that there is born in the city of david that 's significant because David was the king. And the reason Joseph was there was because he was in the lineage of the king. And this comes into play in a little bit. So the city of David was the kingly city. And they said, listen, when you go there, you're going to see that there has been a Savior born. Savior. Deliverer. We know from later when we read the Gospels, especially toward the end, That there was all kinds of political machinations and and they were trying to make Jesus this political deliverer and that's not what this is all about. This is about someone who saves people from their sins. That the Savior would be born. That He would be the Messiah. And so um, when it says here... In the city of David, a Savior who is Christ. That's, that's just the uh, uh, vernacular of the day for the Jewish Messiah. He's going to be the one, again, that t- ties all back into Savior, the Deliverer, the one who's going to set everyone free. And then a Savior who is Christ, the Lord. So here, in these little verses, Christmas meets Easter. Behold, John said, the Lamb of God, who does what? Takes away the sin of the world. Now let me talk to you for just a minute about the shepherds uh, and about, about miracles. Let's talk first about the shepherds. And again, it's just in the same passage, as verses eight through twenty. I won't go back through all of this, but what a magnificent scene that must have been for these guys out there with their sheep, and all of a sudden, um, <laughs> an angel appears. And again, I, I love the, the 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 Bible is usually very understated. Um, we live in a world of hyperbole, and Falsity. Um, And I think I teased about this a few weeks ago. There's this stupid ad on TV where people get damp-rid. And then they break into ecstasy as they put it under their kitchen sink. There's smiles and they're dancing. They're doing all kinds of things. Damp-rid. Must have a terrible problem in those homes. I don't know, but... So much um, hyperbole. And it says, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord showed around about them, and they were filled with great fear. must have been a magnificent scene, and it's glorious, but there's there's a fine line between glory and terror. And the Bible says very specifically they were in great fear, and the next thing the angel said to them, Fear not. Okay, don't be afraid. I'm going to bring you some good news. And we already talked about that in a minute. We, we, we can sometimes get get flippant about this. And we, you know, we, we make this cute. And we've got our and and scenes and all the things that we have. But it had to have been terrifying. They've been out there night. They were all used to being out at night. They knew what the sounds of night were. They'd never had angels appear to them before and probably never had angels appear to them again. And all of a sudden, the sky splits and an angel comes and starts telling them about a Savior. And it wasn't just, before it was over, it wasn't just one angel, it was a multitude. And so here, I'm bringing you good news there's this gospel, there's a Savior, there's a Messiah. Where you go? You go to the kingly city. Who is it? Or what is it? It's a Savior. Who is it? It's the Messiah, He's the Lord. And they went to sea. Immediately they went to sea. Um, I think we need to be careful about all the... the, um, uh, making myths of all of these things and expanding on all of them. I mean, my favorite Christmas hymn, written written by Wesley and Whitfield. Says, "Hark, the herald angels!" Does it say they sang? No. As a matter of fact, it very specifically says they said, "Glory to God in the highest." Um, <laughs> so, you know, the Lord bless them. But there's all kinds of myths going on about uh, about Christmas and things that. It doesn't need any embellishment, folks. It's marvelous all by itself. The Bible says that those shepherds... I am going to read this. It says in verse 17, And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. (laughs) I don't know if they wondered if it was true. I don't know if they wondered if the shepherds were drunk. I don't know what they wondered. But there was a lot of wondering going on. Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So the end result of this thing and the key to this and the key to this season is that we glorify God for his gift. So that was a miracle. I don't know about you, but I have not seen any angels split the night sky. Um, if, I'm, if I do, I'm sure I'll be afraid also. Let me talk to you about another one. Let's go to the book of Matthew. I want to talk to you about another miracle. Matthew chapter 2. And again, there's all kinds of myths. Years ago, um, I, I told folks, I challenged folks. I said, look, forget what you think you know about church, and let's just read the book. And we should probably do the same thing about Christmas. Forget what you think you know about Christmas, and let's just read the book. Let me read to you several verses. Um, Chapter 2, the book of Matthew. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them as to where the Christ, or the Messiah, was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found it, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them, Now when they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children and refused to be comforted because they are no more. But Herod died. And I'm going to leave that sentence right there because I think that's a good way to end this. So let's talk about this for a minute. Firstly, the Magi, the wise men, they were from the East. They were more than likely scholars of ancient writings and myths. Um, but there was a belief that was prevalent and it has been up until the last 150 years or so where we've gotten all involved in science and materialism. And and it, it used to be the belief that there was some sacred thread that connected all the dreams and fears of all men and that these things were all connected. I don't have time to get into all that today, but that's what was going on. And these guys... Um, And by some of you are familiar with 20th century authors who believed in that thread and wrote about it. Their names were C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien. So when I picture wise men, I picture those guys. Okay? No turbans, no crowns, just those guys. They may have been from Babylon because, well, they could be because that's east, all right? That's east of where they ended up. They may have been Jewish. Now, if you think with me about your history, we're in first century um, Israel or first century Judea under the Roman government. Before that, they were under, that area was under the Greeks. Before that, it was under the Medes and the Persians, and we're now getting into the territory of Daniel the prophet. And Before that, it was under the authority of the Babylonians. And that's how Daniel got there in the first place. The Babylonians took him captive. And they took thousands upon thousands of Israelites to Babylon. And later, when Darius, I think it was Darius or Cyrus, said, you can go back and rebuild the temple there were thousands of, of Jews that returned and came back and resettled it, resettled in the land and rebuilt the temple and rebuilt the city, so on and so forth. But there were also thousands of people who stayed there. So it's very possible that these were, were generations and generation removed from people who were taken captive from Israel and, and stayed in the east. Uh, they would have traveled with an entourage. Okay And since they had precious stuff with them, they would have had guards. Is this painting a little different picture? Now, they didn't have brinks trucks, okay? but you you, you kind of get the idea. As a matter of fact, that was, that was not uncommon at all. So in in those days, and when you read the Apostle Paul's writings, he talks about being in per- and having perils from robbers because it was not uncommon at all that there would be areas that were unpatrolled by the Roman government, and that's where the robbers would hang out. And so people in those days would travel from if, by land, when they would travel by land, would travel in caravans or in groups, because there was safety in number and they would be armed. So these guys showing up in Jerusalem from a long journey would have created a stir. Just as much as if in some some of our smaller neighborhoods, four or five (laughs) black-windowed limousines showed up and parked in front of the five-and-dime store. The Bible says nothing about them being kings. Okay. They might have been. But nobody knows because the Bible doesn't tell us that. By the way, we also don't know what their names are. You know, so if, you know, if you got your if you got your, you know, here they are. By the way, did they go to a manger, a, a stable? No. By the time they came, Jesus was probably at least a year old and he was living in his own hired house. The Bible tells us that where his parents hired house. And they weren't there the same time the shepherds were. But we do have a nice camel parking lot. so. (laughs) Say, why do you put that thing up? Because it's neat. All right? That's why we put it up. Because it's neat and it's fun. Uh, we don't know how many there were. We don't know that they were three. We know there were three gifts. That's the only thing we have. There may have been one of them. There probably was more than one because the word, wording, the terminology here is plural. There may have been two. It may have been five. And I, I don't have time to go into it today, but there's also significance in each of the gifts. And the gifts, as best we can tell, it doesn't tell us, but back-to-back uh, back with their leaving and going home another route and not going back through Jerusalem, they're sneaking away. Back-to-back back with that is the story of, of, of the angel coming to Joseph and saying, take, these, take your family and flee because Herod's going to kill these children. And it was probably these gifts that were given, or possibly these gifts that were given, that sustained that family in their flight to Egypt and help them establish themselves there. Now, there's a miracle in here in a minute, and we're going to get to it, but I I want you to think about something for a minute. They said, where was he born? Where is the Messiah going to be born? Apparently, the wise men didn't know. And when you read this, they came to Herod, and they said, where's the king of the Jews? And because this is where the king was, and, uh you know, we come, he's just been born, and Herod, the, the cunning, treacherous fox that he was, um, said, well, let me find out for you. Apparently, the star disappeared. Went so far and it disappeared. Doesn't say that, but that's what we can kind of gather from reading this. So they said, well, go to Bethlehem. Bethlehem is where he was." be. So Herod was going to use these wise men to find out exactly where in Bethlehem he was. So we have Bethlehem, or excuse me, we have Micah chapter five, verse two, quoted here in Matthew chapter two. Well, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, shall be small among the cities of Judah. Yet out of you will rise the one whose ruling will be from everlasting. But there's another scripture that we often don't think about. enough. So put your finger there. We're coming back. But go way in the back to the, the, back to the Old Testament, to the book of Numbers. And I read to you an interesting prophecy. Okay? By a, a fellow by the name of Balaam. Everybody remember Balaam? Balaam was the fellow with the very intelligent donkey. Okay? <laughs> It says in verse 15, And he took up his discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle... I'm in Numbers 24, by the way, if I I didn't say that. Numbers 24, verse 15. The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is open, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of of the Most High. I love it when these guys introduce themselves like this, okay? Who sees the vision of the Almighty... Falling down with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. Now listen to this. A star shall come out of Jacob. And a scepter. What's a scepter? That's what a king has as a sign of his authority. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab. And break down the sons of Seth, Edom shall be dispossessed, seir and also his enemies shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly, and one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of the city. So to make a long story short here they they hired Balaam to come. And prophesy against the people of Israel. And every time he opened his mouth, instead of cursing them, he blessed them. And eventually, he got to the place where he was prophesying against all these other nations that were going to be against Israel and how they were going to judge them. And that's what you get in Numbers chapter 24, verses 17 through 19. Notice that a star is mentioned, notice that a scepter is mentioned. And notice that Edom is mentioned. The star is significant. The wise men said, we saw his star. And they apparently followed that star until it perhaps disappeared. They could no longer follow it. They ended up in Jerusalem. Do you suppose that Herod knew about Numbers 24? We don't have the quote in here that they did. They just gave him the quote about Micah. Did you know that Herod was an appointed king? Herod was a very wealthy man. He made his wealth through um, military might and graft and all sorts of other things. He gave heavily to the government in Rome and, and uh, he was apparently an able ruler and it would be Give fair to who fair. He kept peace. Be fair. He was also, an, I don't have time to go into all this today, but he was a magnificent builder. It was Herod that built the temple that Jesus worshiped in. And later, when you read the Gospels, you find out it took 70 years to build that thing. It's Herod that built Masada. And the last I heard, they still do the swearing in ceremonies for the Israeli Defense Forces. Of Masada. You say, why was what, what's what's the deal about Masada? Masada in 70 A.D. or 71. Masada was the last place to fall before the uh, as the Jews conquered conquered them. They had already destroyed Jerusalem. A remnant of them, several hundred, went to Masada and hid up on that hill. If you go there, you can go and look at Masada. You'll overlook the, you'll overlook the end of the Jordan River and the Dead Sea and you'll look across it to, to where Jordan is. It's out in the middle of the wilderness. And when those people, that remnant of people in Masada knew because they knew they could not continue to stay there because, uh, because the siege ramps and the siege ramps are there. You can look at them. The siege ramps were coming up the side, and pretty soon the Roman army was going to get there and say, why didn't they kill the people who were building? Because they were, they were building those siege ramps with Jewish slaves. So to shoot their arrows and throw their rocks, they would have been killing their own people. And faced with that particular thing, uh, 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 the, uh, there was mass suicide. They all killed themselves and died rather than be taken captive and be made slaves. And the last I heard, and I haven't checked it recently, but the last I heard the Israeli Defense Forces does their swearing in ceremony there and ends with never again. Herod built that. Herod built Herodium. Among, he built Caesarea Philippi. But he, 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 he built, um, or no, excuse me, he built Caesarea Maritima he built Herodium, which was a city in a hill. So it looked like a big cone, and when you got up there, you could go in, and there was a city inside it, Herod. But he was appointed king. He was an Idumean. That was the little province he was from. The province of Idumea is inside Edom. Edom is the nation of people descended from Esau, remember Jacob's brother who sold his birthright? Herod had no hereditary right to the throne and no hereditary right to be thing, to be king. He was a ruthless murderer. He killed a wife, killed several of his sons, he killed several of his other family members. and then, of course, we know he killed the babies of Judea. He had an all-encompassing lust for power, which is why I wanted to end my reading with he died. Okay? It doesn't matter how much power you got. Eventually, you die. And if we'd have read on, we'd have found out that, you know what? The Lord knew about that. So there's Joseph. Once again, he's in Egypt. He's sleeping. All of a sudden, another angel comes to say, Hey, Joseph, it's free. You can go back now. The one who sought the child's death is dead. Now, look with me at verse 9, chapter 2 of the book of Matthew. I'll go back to this. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy and going into the house... They saw the child and Mary's mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. No natural star does that. Now, I'm old enough to remember swamp gas. Okay? You guys know what I'm talking about when I talking about swamp gas? All of these explanations that have come out because of UFOs and what, what is that and what is that and all these explanations of things that we've got. I want to encourage you as you read this, do not with this or in any way ever be embarrassed by what the Bible says. It's, it, it, it's common for people to look for some natural explanation. For this stuff, there is no natural explanation for a star to go and sit over somebody's apartment building. Kind of modernize it a little bit. We just have to trust. That star was a miracle, which is why when they saw it, they rejoiced. They saw it in the first place. They read about the star. They knew that the Messiah was coming. Every Jew had always prayed for a Messiah. Every Jewish woman prayed that she would be the mother of the Messiah. They knew that it was going to happen. And when they saw the star, they said, it's, it's happening. And they took off. They left. They brought their gifts. And they came. And we're going to see the king. And then they couldn't find him. And where is he? And all of this Peculiarity and weirdness and stuff going on and, and being warned and dreamed not to go back that way and a whole business and when they saw that star they rejoiced. It just doesn't say they got happy it says they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. They were going to find the object of their longing because of this supernatural thing. Can Jesus turn water into wine? You can say no if you want. Just. Can he walk on water? Can he calm a storm? A tricky one. Can he apparently, we've got to kind of read between the lines here. Can he apparently make eyeballs out of mud and stick them in a guy's head so the guy can see? Can he raise the dead? Can he raise himself and defeat death itself? Yes. All of those things are miracles. And this star was a miracle. Now let me close with one thing. I'm going, I'm going to go back into the epistles to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Just a couple of verses, but these verses are so full, they're so packed and profound with who Jesus was. It says, He is the image, verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God, the source or origin of all creation. If you have the word firstborn, that's okay, but it actually means source or origin, where it comes from. Because and it goes on to say in verse sixteen, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before what well, this is this all things. This has to has to do two ways chrono, uh, chronologically and in preeminence. He is before all things. And in him all things are held together. Some believing scientists have said when we can... I don't know if you realize this now, but uh, scientific studies is not going to big things, it's going to tiny things. And every time they divide something, they find something smaller on the inside. And one believing scientist said we're going to crack the final thing and when we do, we're going to find Jesus is there. He holds all things together. This is who Jesus is, very God, creator of all things, holds all things together. The greatest miracle of the Bible. It was interesting, I read this in two or three places. Wayne Grudem said it very interestingly. He says the, the, the greatest and most amazing miracle of the Bible is not angels, none of the things on this list above, not creation, not even the resurrection, but the incarnation of God Almighty into human flesh. Because in taking on that flesh, he could become subject to Death. And become subject to death. He could die for us. John says he became flesh. And he walked among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten. Of the father. The greatest miracle folks. Is not that angels appeared to shepherds. It's not all the other things that we left. It's not, it's not even that magnificent. Wonderful. Puzzling. Puzzling. Star that stands over your house. It's the fact that God would find some way to take all of the magnificence of Godhead and join it with humanity so that Jesus Christ was very God and very man, a unique individual in all of creation. There is no one else like him. He is kinsman to all of us. He fills the Old Testament picture of that Redeemer who is a family to those for whom He redeems and is also capable of redeeming them because He was perfect in all His ways and sinless. That's why Paul could write in Galatians, when the fullness of the time came, when God's timing was fulfilled, God sent forth His Son. Born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those who were under the law. Who's under the law? Everyone. So this Christmas, as I close this, I thought about this. I wonder as I wander. You guys know the song, don't you? Out Under the Skies. That Jesus, my Savior, did come forth to die. I wonder. I wonder. Would you stand with me? Lord, we often think of Christmas and we wonder... Uh, You know, we we live sometimes vicariously through the eyes of kids. And gifts and presents and all the special food and all the wonderful things. And it is wonderful. And the word is there, it is wonderful. But all of that pales in comparison to the wonder, the marvel the depth, as Paul writes, so we looked about the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of the love of God that he would send his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to become a servant. Paul wrote that in Philippians. He would become a servant so that we could be redeemed. Not with the blood of Bulls and goats, but with the precious blood of Christ, the Lamb, without spot or blemish. So, as we move through the rest of this holiday season, let there be wonder, not at tinsel and presents and the glitter and sparkle in kids' eyes, but let there be wonder in our hearts for what you have done for us. And let us also rejoice, because it is good news. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.